At the age of 65, musician John Mellencamp reflected on what's left for him in life. Mellencamp said, I intend to make my ending good. I'm hoping it's one of those long, lingering, deathbed conversions. A lot of people go, oh, I hope I just die quick. Not me. I need time to put things right. There is something that this musician reveals to us about people. That deep down inside us all, we know that what we have done with our lives matter. All people have a soul, so all people have an eternal destiny. It is statements like these that reminds us that life is too short to play long games. God's church certainly doesn't have time to play games when it comes to saving people. Church, this morning, I want to remind you, we can't afford to push this very important thing down the road any longer. We must die to the illusion, oh, there is always tomorrow to evangelize. We must ask the question this morning, why do we push evangelizing down the road? Could it be that many of our lives are shaped by what we want? And what we want then dictates what we give ourselves to. That becomes the dominant theme, right? I want this. I want that. I want her. I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't want him. And based on what I want and what I don't want, I will now craft my lifestyle. Church, what if what we wanted didn't rule our lives? What if what we wanted more than anything in the world was God's will to be done in our lives? How would that impact our lives? What might it mean if we abandon ourselves to God's will rather than to what we want? It would certainly impact the amount of time we give to reaching the lost. Evangelism is sharing the saving message of Jesus with someone else. Believe it or not, evangelism is of high importance to God. So important, Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says that my purpose of leaving heaven and coming to earth was so that I may gather and find those who are lost which is why many of you are here today. Saving lost people cost Jesus his life. So you better believe those of us in this room that pursue that holy endeavor to evangelize to people, it will cost you something. And it may even cost you your life. If today you were looking for the truest, realest, purest, expression of gospel evangelism outside of Christ, you need look no further than the Apostle Paul. When it came to evangelizing, Paul could hang with the best of them. Paul was the type of dude that after you stone him unconscious, he would get up, and if you were aiding him back to health, he would minister to you if you were unsaved. Paul didn't care what came his way. Paul's attitude was, I got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in our text today, we have the wonderful opportunity to see and witness Paul's passion to seek out 
lost folks. I hope before I'm done that Paul's passion would prove to be contagious this morning. That is, it would sort of catch a holy fire down in us. And I hope that that fire would consume what we want and only leave God's will as our leading desire. With that in mind, let us read our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. And I'm going to pause and give you guys a second to get there. Oh, you're welcome. Now listen, do not be afraid to use the table of contents. We will not judge you. We will not talk about you. We will pray for you, though. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. And I'm going to read. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew, as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Church, this morning you can understand this whole section by getting verse 22. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. The word all is repeated three times. All things, all people, all means. Let's walk through each of those all. Paul says, first, he becomes all things. Talk to us, Paul, this morning. Paul is describing his flexibility and willingness to personally adapt to becoming the culture or the perspective of the person or group he is trying to reach. Become means change, adapt. Think of a chameleon. Only the purpose isn't to hide. It is to bridge, to relate, and to build affinity. It's it's not talking about immoral categories. Paul is not talking about adapting to immoral categories. He doesn't become a murderer to reach the murderers or a thief to reach the thieves. He is talking about contextualizing himself to where the unsaved are. In other words, he eat the foods they eat. He dress like they dress. He gets into their sports. He hangs out at the spots they hang out. Paul is like, I'm willing to change my culture like clothes if I can save some people. The other all, he says, is to all people. Now, I love this because God has, in his infinite wisdom, made all kinds of people. I love culture, church. One person said, culture is image bearers doing life. It is so dope to me that none of us are the same individually in our perspective, culture, or individually. 
God loves diversity. Therefore, we have a myriad of languages, a myriad of, of hairstyles. You, you just got to enjoy the hair God gave you. Some of us try to put that activator juice in there and try to get that hair we want. And you end up losing your hair at an early age. You just should have been cool with what you had. You know, if you got naps, it's all good. Rock your naps. You got a fro, rock your fur. You got straight hair, rock your straight hair. It's all good. And God has given us different shades of skin color. And it is all beautiful. It is to people's detriment that they claim to be colorblind. My question to you is, do you hate rainbows? And do you hate flowers? Color is to be enjoyed, not ignored. Paul embraced the world's diversity with the absence of cultural superiority. He was like, they eat chicken? Well, I'm eating chicken. They eating chicken casserole? Well, I'm eating chicken casserole. They eating chicken tacos? Well, it's chicken tacos for dinner tonight. Paul didn't care about food. He didn't make a big deal about it, but instead he enjoyed it. In order for him to become all things to all people, he had to see all people as they were and see intrinsic value in their cultural expression. All people matter because they matter to God. Therefore, they matter to Paul. There ought to be a holy indignation in us when we see the devaluing of any type of mistreatment of a fellow image bearer. Something ought to rise up inside of us and say that is not godly and we ought to defend those who are being mistreated. Paul says, I will become Whatever it takes to build a bridge for the gospel, to witness to anyone who comes across my path. Really? Why would you be so intentional and flexible, Paul? The other all. By all means, I might save some. Becoming all things to all people is not easy, church. It stretches us. It gets us out of our comfort zone. We love being in spaces that look like us and act like us and sound like us, but it challenges us to be around people that don't think like us or act like us or talk like us or value what we value. Over our stove at home, we have a seasoning cabinet. We got seasoning salt up there, pepper, lemon pepper, Weber grill, gourmet seasoning, and some other stuff, but I don't cook enough to know them all. Paige likes to try new seasonings to give our food a, a different spin. And I'm usually like, no, let's, let's just stick to the usual and what we know. Um, because if we waste this meal, I'm going to have to go buy, you know, some more or whatever. So, you know, I'm thinking economically or whatever. And she always says, at least try it, dude. Like, you ain't even tasted it. Calm down. Every time she's done blending those seasonings together, I'm like, that right there, that right there, girl, that right there, cook that tomorrow. That is, that's pretty good. And many of us miss out on people and culture because we are afraid to embrace things that are different flavors. 
But just as Paige knew what she was doing when she was making our food with using different seasonings, God knew what he was doing when he was making all kind of peoples in culture. And we have to learn to embrace and to enjoy the seasoning cabinet of life. Paul gives the compelling motivation for his embracing God's seasoning cabinet. The reason he gives is so that I might save some. Now, don't let that pass you by. It is the salvation of a soul that makes it worth that personal effort of being flexible. I mean, this is why we exist, right? We are all bought into the fact that it breaks our heart to see someone lost. We don't like when our blocks are devoid of eternal hope. We don't like the fact that our schools are devoid of God. We don't like the fact that people's hearts are devoid of him. We don't like the fact that our families are so devoid of him. This is what it means to be lost without God in the world, in the church. I to ache for that, break for that, cry for that, right? We ought to feel something when we see that people are lost and without God in the world. But I wonder why we are so cavalier in our urgency to witness to the loss. Is it because, or maybe at least an aspect of it, that we have grown numb to the reality of God's wrath? We have grown numb to the reality of God's wrath. The wrath of God is coming, church. Do not mistake his, his, his patience and kindness for him overlooking sin. The wrath of God is coming on this wicked world. In John 3.36 it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Paul understood the wrath of God, and I wonder if we do. Too often... I don't. I forget. I get busy. The value of that soul and their eternal destiny too often strengths next to my fear, personal agenda, schedule, or whatever. Listen, church, oftentimes in our hearts we are inclined towards places where the getting is good. We want to be called to the land of milk and honey. Everybody wants it easy when it comes to ministry. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced when it comes to ministry. But ministry often leads us down a path of sacrifice. Here's one of the indications of whether I value people in the gospel. How willing am I to sacrifice my personal preference so I can relate to a person, a people group, an ethnic group, or, com or community for the sake of the gospel. And if we are honest, we want a mission that doesn't require me to have any social adjustment, and we want a ministry that does not require us to downgrade. No pay cuts, no bad schools, no risks. We want everything to be easy and nice and comfortable. I don't want to give up anything. I don't want to adjust anything. I want my life to stay the same. I don't care if they go to hell. I'd rather choose my comfort over people going to hell. And in America, we have shaped a Christianity that accommodates our comfort. We have justified it and say, God hasn't made me that way. 
that's just my personality. I just don't flex like that. I don't move like that. God made me like this. Have you read the Bible lately? When Jesus says, love your enemy, I don't think I like loving my enemy, quite frankly. Right? I don't like turning the other cheek. You slap me on the other cheek, I want to throw down like Mike Tyson. You need to go hit me. Right? It's hard for us to give up our immediate preference for the joy of others. But what if God calls us, not to the land of milk and honey, but to the land where there's a famine? Oftentimes, God would call his people out of a place that was booming into a place where famine was. Calls them out of Egypt. It's booming. They got gold. They got food. That's why when they were in the wilderness, they like, hey, man, we had roast beef back there. We had a steak. Out here ain't nothing but sand and quail. And I ain't down with that, right? It's like, God, why you ain't, you know, take some of the cows with us. I know I'm crazy. If their eternal destiny is not that important to us, we will never sacrifice to build a bridge for the gospel. Might this not explain why when churches lose their vision for reaching their community, they become inwardly focused What happens? You hear things like, I can't believe they talk like that. I can't believe they wear that. They're ghetto. I can't believe they are sinners. There is no way I could do ministry among them. We forget that that our Lord left heaven, a perfect heaven, to dwell with us. What do you mean? What do you mean? Were you not in the dumpster a week ago? Now all of a sudden you don't know dumpster life anymore. You eating for lay me on. You didn't forget. You didn't got amnesia. You need to be reminded. We forget what God has done for us. The church that was sent to save become a Pharisaic tool of Satan that darkens their hearts even more because what they thought was supposed to be light looks like darkness to them. And there's no hope for the world if the church does not move. It is always this desire that some might be saved, that should motivate us to do what none of us naturally want to do, to change, to innovate, to reach out to someone different than us and love them. Paul says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some of them. Paul is telling us, this is what I have done to save folks. Now, what I love about Paul is not only does he talk the talk, but he's able to walk the walk. You guys remember that phrase, right? Not able to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. I'm glad somebody came up with that because it was just perfect right there in the sermon. So I put it right there. In verses 20 through 22, Paul teaches us how he walked the walk. Paul had cultural flexibility. We see this in verse 20. Drop your eyes down to verse 20. He distinguishes the Jewish culture from the Jewish religion in his next sentence. Become a Jew to win the Jews means accommodating his approaches to the unique perspective of the Jewish culture. Culture accommodation, let me be clear, does not mean gospel accommodation. All right? So when we're accommodating someone, we are not changing the gospel. Don't do that. 
What it means is what Paul did. When he went to the Jewish synagogue, he spoke. He dressed and he used the culture of the Jews as a starting point to talk about Jesus. He argued from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because in the Jewish culture, the Old Testament was their authority. Ministry to the Jews to this day begins in the Old Testament. I had the privilege and opportunity to participate in a missions trip about five years back with Wes and Laura Tabor. They head up Life and Messiah Ministry, which is an outreach to the, to the Jews or Jewish people around the world. And they have a ministry centered in the heart of the Jewish section of Brooklyn in New York. When we first arrived, before they would allow us to interact with any Jewish people, we had to sit down and, and be educated on the culture of the Jewish people. And they told us, don't do this, and it's okay to do that. And so they did that so they can prepare us for our mission. You need to understand what offend folks and what doesn't offend folks before you call yourself going into their culture. Now, am I arguing that if we contextualize that we want to offend people with the name of Jesus? That's not what I'm arguing this morning. Because I stood in downtown Brooklyn with my friend, as we passed out tracts to Jewish people, he did everything that they told him to do. He gave this Orthodox Jewish guy a tract. And the Orthodox Jewish guy took the tract. He walked off. He began to read the tract. He then turns around. I'm like, oh, this ain't going to be good because in the hood, when someone makes a U-turn, after you gave them something, you ought to run because that's what I was going to run. I wasn't going to stay right there. I was, I was getting ready to take off. You know, I don't ask questions. I'm gone. Bam, go. You better run with me. What you running for? What you running for? What you doing? What you doing? I don't know. I'm just running. And so dude turns around. He walks up to my friend. He takes the track. He tears it into a million pieces, throws it in his face, and says, you need to leave. It doesn't matter if we contextualize to the best of our ability. It will not guarantee that we will not be ridiculed and talked about. However, we need to sit and learn and value others people's way of living. Your way of life is not the only way of life. What we did not do during the mission trip is serve ham and bacon for lunch with signs outside saying Jesus is the Messiah. What's your problem? Come and be like us. We didn't do that. Herein is the issue with Christians. We are not rejected because of Jesus, but because of our self-centered, arrogant approaches. It's a profound difference. That's a profound difference. I'm okay with being rejected for Jesus. I don't want to be rejected for being a jerk. That's not what I want to be rejected for. I want to be rejected for standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I do not want to be rejected for being a self-arrogant, self-centered, prideful, boasting Christian. That's not what I want to be known for. And oftentimes we think we have the right to enter into people's lives and fix them without even knowing them. You don't even know their name yet, and yet you're judging them and saying what you know about them. You didn't even say hello to them. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You don't even know their name. You don't even know their story, but you want to judge them. It breaks my heart when people come to me who are not believers in tears and say, I can't believe I came to the church and they treated me like that. Do not, do not do that here. You want to see me get angry? I, I promise you, 
I will get angry. If you treat people like trash around here, we're going to have an issue. We're going to have an issue. I don't care who they are, homeless, I don't care who they are, you love them. They are image bearers of God. Listen, Bethel Gary, we must be respectful of people's culture and use it as a bridge for the gospel. Paul was a bad boy when it came to adapting to culture. Moreover, he can see pictures of the gospel in cultures and use it to help them understand. Does that mean Paul changed the gospel for the sake of cultural relevance? And I want to keep saying this, no. It doesn't mean having genuine love for people and appreciation for culture that they can, that, that they can at least sense that we love them. So he says, I become a Jew to reach the Jews. I'll become a Russian to reach the Russians. I know this one guy, he became a battle rapper to reach battle rappers. And to be honest, I was like, I don't know how this work out. Because, I mean, like, you go on blow for blow, and you're talking about each other and battle rapping and things like this. But he has a clever and witty way, I believe the Holy Spirit has given it to him, to articulate and to, and to navigate through this rap battle culture to boast about Jesus and somehow build relationships, and some of them are getting saved. So culture is one thing. But evangelizing can be even more complicated when you run into people with a different faith than you. How do you navigate through that? Paul shows us how he navigated through those who had a different religious faith. And if you pay attention this morning, maybe some of the points that he did may help you. Looking at verse 20 again. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. The law. In this verse, Paul helps us to understand how to relate and evangelize to the religiously unsaved. So if you have someone in your life that has a different faith that you've been trying to reach for a very long time, you want to listen up here. Now watch carefully how wise Paul is in his seeking out the religiously unsaved. The law referred to here in the Old, is the Old Testament law. And let me give a quick summary of what the Old Testament law was so that we can understand this passage here. The Old Testament law was divided into three parts. The moral law, which summarizes the Ten Commandments. The civil law, which is pertaining to Israel as a functional nation. And the ceremonial law, referring to the washings and feasts and sacrifices. Now, with the coming of Jesus, the civic and ceremonial aspects were fulfilled and abolished. Jesus fulfilled those two parts of the law. He also fulfilled the third part of the law, but we still uh, observe the third part of the law because it has to do with God's character, the Ten Commandments, the moral part of it. That doesn't change. We still need to love our neighbor. We still need to not murder. We still need not to covet our neighbor's wife and on and on and on and on. He adds in this verse, though not being myself under the law, he didn't want them to think he was under the ceremonial law anymore or that he had or he was lawless. Paul's law is the law of Christ, the rule of Jesus, his teaching, love, and lordship. That is what he follows. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those still practicing the civic and ceremonial system and religious Jewish customs, I became one of them. I flexed, I adapted, I took on those things. Not that I was governed by those things. I was free not to do those things. But in order that I may reach them, I started to do what they did in order to build some relationship here. Let me give you 
an example of Paul doing this in the book of Acts. And I encourage you to go back and to read this in Acts chapter 16, verse 3. Paul had Timothy circumcised to avoid offense. Now, if I was Timothy, I'd have been mad. Like, so, so you just going to do me like that. You just going to hang me out with the wool. Uh, in Acts uh, 21, verses 20 through 26, uh, Paul participated in the Jewish purification ceremony to show he was not abandoning Old Testament law. Now, some might say, um, Paul was selling out. No, Paul was building bridges so as to build trust, establish relationship, and earn a hearing. Going back to my trip to Brooklyn, I know I'm free to eat a piece of bacon, but people are more important than bacon. So I'm willing to give up bacon if I can reach you. Bacon's just not that important. I mean, I love bacon. Don't get me wrong. I go out of my way to get the best piece of bacon there is. I tell Paige, we go all the way to Costco. There's this bacon that the Olivers put me on, and I say, mm-mm, good, and we're going to go for this bacon. But guess what? I'm willing to give up that bacon if I can save some folks. Amen? We often find evangelizing hard because we have our priorities mixed up. People are more important than bacon. Paul is being governed by love, not what he is free to do. Paul doesn't ask, what are, uh, what, Paul doesn't ask, what is my rights first? Instead, he asks, what is right for the advancement of the gospel? This is obviously filled with challenges for us. How do you stretch religiously to build a relationship with a Hindu, a New Ager, an atheist, a Jehovah Witness, a Hebrew Israelite, Muslim, those brothers on the corner talking about black people being depressed and all that? Like, how do you deal with that stuff? If you're in Gary, Indiana, you need to know how to navigate through that because it's coming. It's coming. When I'm in there uh, uh, doing Bible study with the Epic guys, they want to know. They want to know these things. It's called urban apologetics. And I would suggest the way that we start is looking for commonalities. Find ways you can relate to people and have conversations around that first. The advantage of religious unsaved people is that they are interested in spiritual things. Find those point of contacts and talk about them in agreement long before you get into a conversation of disagreement. Oftentimes, we start with the place of tension. We often see people going, going in at the barbershop, right? Going in at the salon, right? Going in at the basketball game. Going in at the end of church service, right? And they're debating, and they're going in, and neither one of them know each other. And they're like, yo, no, I know this. No, I know this. No, I don't care what you say. No, no, no. See, 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 if you look at old dude from back in the past, I'm like, I don't even know that dude. You know, I need to write down names and things like that. I got into an argument a long time ago at a barbershop. And this is my younger days in Christianity. Dude fed me my lunch. I felt so bad I had to go back home and read my Bible, which is why, <laughs> which is why it's important that you need to know the word of God because there are some people that read this book more than you do. And they will feed you your lunch if you don't know it. Now, what about those people on Facebook? They got these long arguments. They be going back and forth. You know ain't nobody reading each other arguments, right? They just going for it. I'm like, where you at when I got this 10-page paper? You want to write? I got something for you to write. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of times what we do is we get into these debates and these conflicts, and we don't even know each other. We didn't even talk to each other. And a lot of times I want to sit back, relax, kind of hear the conversation. I want to hear your beliefs because in hearing, now I can see where the holes are at, right? I can understand what a disconnect that. Now I can, with intellect, now apply and with compassion apply the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I can say, you know, when you said that, this, this is what it looks like for a Christian and so forth and so forth. So build relationship, honor their culture and heritage, earn the right to be heard. Please stop assuming because you're a Christian, people want to listen to you. Now, Paul talks about another way he became all things to all people. He teaches us now his strategy to reach those who have no religious background or affiliation. Look at verse 21. He said, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Talk to us, Paul. In the, in the unsaved religious circle, to be outside the law means unfamiliarity with the scriptures in Christianity. How do we approach these people? Same principle applies. I become as one outside the law. Here becomes means to relate. I relate to them where they are. Outside the law is increasingly where our culture is going. Today, there is no moral consensus. It's a do whatever is right for you mentality. You do whatever is good for you, and I'll do whatever good for me. If I had time, I'll break that down because that leads to chaos. Did it make me happy? Is the only question that people are asking. And if it made you happy, then nothing else matters. Therefore, what our culture is breeding is a people who will lie, cheat, sleep around, get drunk, enforce injustice without the slightest qualm. They do them, and there is often no moral code other than a conscious whispering to them inwardly that they shouldn't be doing that. The problem with the Ten Commandments is not that they are religious. It is that they are absolutes. We live in a jacked up, messed up world, and some of us don't know it because we stay in our cute little Christian bubble. We are like the father in the home that doesn't come out of his room. And the only time he interacts with his kids is when he asks them to bring him the remote control that is two feet away from him. And one day he finally comes out of his room and he engages the people that have been living with him. But he can't relate and he's shocked by what his children is involved in because he has yet to talk to them or come out of his room. And this is what happens to the church. We stay in our safe place and call the children of the world to us, although we are supposed to go to them. And when we finally decide to interact with these people in the world, we have no clue on what's going on with them. So we treat them like a science project. <laughs> this week I had a chance to go to an FBI conference and hear about some of the crazy things happening in this area alone. There's a growing number of people enticing our young people on social media apps and manipulating them to enter into human trafficking. There's an increase in child pornography. People are out here killing the elderly, politics scamming people and playing on the poor. People are dealing with all kinds of addiction and psychological problems. People have been raped. Women have suffered domestic violence. Young men are fatherless. And I could go on and on. And many of them are so far removed from the church. How do you reach the drug addict, the, the hood dude, the LGBT community, the pimps, the prostitutes? You know we got to reach them, right? You know you, you know we got to reach them, right? That, that, that's not a secret, all right? Okay, well, how you define them, how you categorize them, we have got to reach them. So let me tell you how you will not reach them. If you stay in these four walls, it will not happen. 
if we write them off because we invited them to church and they didn't come? If you speak to them in KJV language, thou not do that. You know what Jesus did? He went to their weddings. He went to their houses. He went to the spots they were in. You think when Jesus went to the wedding, he was just sitting on the wall looking like a weirdo? I think Jesus was actually enjoying the wedding, right? He had the gospel on his mind and saving folks, but he went, right? He hung around them. He had compassion on them. Compassion is more than just seeing and identifying a problem, but doing something about it. Compassion sees, it feels, and then it acts. It doesn't see and walk away. It does something. It bothers them. It should disturb you. And here are some. Education, meals, family celebration, hip-hop culture, pop culture, illnesses, death, financial need, family crisis, mutual interest, hobbies, national happy moments, national sad moments, religious holidays, marital trials, and on and on are all places where we can connect with those who are unreligious. Why do you think CLC exists? You know what that was birthed out of? We said that we're in Gary, and we need to meet people where they are. And here is needs. And so as we meet the need, as we go, as we relate, as we provide reading for kids, as we provide a safe place with kids, what is happening? They are not interacting with Christians, people who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're having conversations and we're talking and now we're having meals and now we're hanging out and now we're there when they're hurting and now we're there when they get pain. And what happens? The Holy Spirit now gives you an opportunity in a moment to love them and all of a sudden God gives you an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you got to be involved. You got to be with people. You got to talk to people. You got to relate to people or you won't have the opportunity. We want to meet people where they are. We, the church, are called to the single mom that is struggling we are called to the ex-felon. We are called to the depressed CEO, the, the addicted porn addict, the low self-esteem young lady. All of these are relational bridge moments. Listen, you don't need the church to host an evangelizing event for you to get out and do something. The, 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 most of our evangelizing should happen as we're doing life. I'm going to tell you right now, don't wait on me to put on a million events for you to evangelize. You don't need me to tell you to go. Your Lord told you to go a long time ago. Most people are waiting. When when are we going to have another evangelizing moment? (laughs) The moment you open up your mouth to talk about Jesus. That's your job. Don't wait on me. Go and do. What you waiting on? You don't need me. You got this. You got the Holy Spirit. There's all kind of opportunities around you in need. Just pick one of them. Don't pick them all, but pick one of them at least. Somebody, somebody struggling, just pick one. Help them out. Some, you know how to fix cars? You a mechanic? Somebody can't afford to get their car fixed? Hello, Jesus moment right there. Right there in your face. Well, the, the issue is that we have to develop categories for ministry outside of Awana and Verge and choir and greeters. It's all kind of stuff in this world for you to do. Everybody's not called to pass out bulletins. I get it. And I'm not knocking you if you don't do it. But I am knocking you if you don't do nothing at all. Go and do. Please, church. He says in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings in verse 23. 
What is Paul referring to here? The gospel has blessings, doesn't it? Think of everything we receive, both now and in terms of our new life in Christ and in our future eternal blessings that boggle our mind. We, church, have so many blessings in the gospel that one service could not fully do justice to all that is coming your way, church. And I encourage you to open up your Bibles and dig into the richness of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins, but he did so much more than just die for your sins. He died for you to have a new life. He died for you to have a relationship with God. Take advantage of these blessings. For Paul, the joy of sharing these blessings and sharing in these blessings with others was a powerful motivation for him. Michael Jordan, in his Hall of Fame speech, closes with these words. As I close, the game of basketball has been everything to me. My refuge, my place I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. It's been a source of intense pain and a source of most intense feeling of joy and satisfaction. And one that no one can even imagine. It's been a relationship that has involved over time, evolved over time and given me the greatest respect and love for the game. It has provided for me a platform to share my passion with millions in a way I neither expected nor could have imagined in my career. Church of Jordan could find so much joy and rest in basketball. How much more should we find our joy and rest in the gospel? We ought to, like Jordan, want to spread a passion for the gospel to millions if God will allow us. We ought to want to fill our communities with the fragrance of Jesus, spreading the knowledge of Christ until we have more of Jesus in our school. We want to have more fans of Jesus that call out the name of Jesus and say that I want to be like Jesus. Michael Jordan owned the game of basketball. He had a passion for the game of basketball. And because he had a passion for the game of basketball, he wanted others to now experience the joy he had in basketball. And that's what happens, right? When we enjoy something, we want others to participate and to enjoy that which we are enjoying. If it's your kid's birthday, you want others to enjoy that birthday. If it's a new car, you call your homeboys over so they can participate and experience the joy that you are experiencing. And what I'm challenging you to do this morning, church, is to have such a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ that you lose yourself and you say, I want more to experience the blessings and the magnitude and the gravity and the weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ so much so that I'm willing to give up myself. And the biggest reason the church doesn't reach its community is because the gospel is not our main passion. We will cross rivers and mountains to make an extra dollar. We will cover out time and money for expensive hairstyles and clothes and cars. Oh, I'm coming to your house this morning. I know you may be getting uncomfortable, but I'm glad that you are. We fill our schedules up with everything but Jesus. And some of us go to a thousand church conferences and read a bunch of Christian books, and we haven't opened our mouth about Jesus in the last 10 years. And I'm not saying that these things are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But when was the last time you led someone to Jesus? When was the last time you befriended an unbeliever in hope that they may, in hope that you may win them over? When was the last time some of us can't point to someone in the last five years? However, today, I'm hoping we can change that. 
If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. I'm hoping you would want to change that. We want to be a church that is all about the will of God. And Bethel Gary, my hope for us is that we will be a church that stretches for the gospel. I believe this body here has a unique opportunity to make an impact in gospel missions. We are a multi-ethnic church in the heart of Gary. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. We are a multi-ethnic church in the heart of Gary. God has plans for this church. And if you've been going here long enough, you have been challenged greatly. You have been challenged in stretching culturally, politically, participating in valuing in things that you don't normally do. But Bethel Gary, through it all, regardless of our skin color and our cultural differences, we have found a way to love each other, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is in this kind of love and tone that God is calling us to the world. We still have some ways to go, but God is preparing us for the world. I want to end on this note with you. Go church and spread the message of Christ at your job, your school, your block, your home, whatever you are. And I want to end, and I never like to end on our hope in human ability, but I always like to end on our hope in the living God. God will finish his mission to reach all people with the gospel. God is a protector of his people, a protector of his mission. So know who sends you and who goes with you as you become all things for all people by all means that we may save some. And glory be to God. Let us stand to our feet and worship him this morning. Let's give God some praise for what he's doing.